0: Let's invite the Lord. Oh Lord, that every soul that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior this evening, oh that they could sing this last song. That they too have decided to follow Jesus. Lord Disarm thy servant. Cast away his opinions, and may thy Holy Spirit teach thy children and those that are not thy children this evening, and thy servant that speaks. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear ones, for the uh, text this evening, I really felt moved a couple of weeks ago to preach on a man that was perhaps in my eyes one, at least one of the most boldest individuals in the whole uh, New and Old Testament. And that individual, I think you'll agree with me, would be John the Baptist. I'd like to read, there are several uh, Gospels that he's listed in. As a matter of fact, he is the the door to every Gospel just about. God had it designed that way that we cannot get to Jesus in reading his Gospels before we go through his forerunner, John the Baptist. But I'd like to read from the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, Chapter 3. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Idorea, of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none, and he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, And be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their heart of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly perch his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner. But the chaff will he burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison." Now when all the people were baptized it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him and a voice came from heaven which said thou art my beloved son in thee I am well pleased. The reason I felt moved to read from the book of Luke is because it appears that Luke was the only disciple that may have been a Gentile. And he was a man that was well-studied, He was a man that was called by the Apostle Paul the beloved physician and he was meticulous in his reporting of the things that he had learned and understood. And he also had a heart as you will see in his gospels throughout, he had a heart for the lost. And he viewed the mission of Jesus as one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. We heard of uh, the testimony of Sarah Rollo the other night and how she had difficulty in believing that there was a God. Luke goes to great extents to show that throughout history there were many witnesses to the appearing of the Messiah. John was one of those witnesses and you can read through John chapter 1, 2 and 3 and so forth even into 5 how Jesus said that John was my witness. But not only John was a witness the exact Period of time was delineated for us here. Figures that were notorious and well known, famous and infamous, for that matter. In the book of um, Matthew, I'm not going to go there, but you will see at the end of chapter two. You will see that uh, the the writer Matthew, who was a publican, who was one of these that were. Exacting more than they should have from the populace and became an enemy of the state of Israel, who converted and also became a witness for Jesus Christ. How he said that it was during the time of Archelaus. This was the dynasty of the Herods. This was under the third emperor of Rome, Tiberius. The world knew this, and Paul said to one of the kings, This thing was not done in a corner. Do you believe, king? I know you believe. It lists here, Tiberius Caesar, the third emperor, Pontius Pilate. Not only do these kings have uh, attestation from the Bible, but through secular history. And if you read the book of uh, Josephus, the book of antiquities and the book of wars, you will see that he delineates and, and outlines history including what these people here observed. Pontius Pilate who was at the trial of Jesus. Pontius Pilate who had mingled the blood of the Galileans with their sacrifices in Luke 13. Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee. This was Herod Antipas, Herod who was the one that was responsible for the death and the beheading of John the Baptist, as we will see later on. His brother Philip, the tetrarch of Idorea and Trachonitis, Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, and then he even gave the religious order Annas and Caiaphas, they're mentioned together because although Caiaphas was the high priest, he was the son-in-law of Annas. And Annas was deposed for his obstinance and, and behavior. But he was the voice piece for his son-in-law. He was the whisperer, as the, the historians say, because the way he dealt with the nation and how he behind the scenes manipulated and controlled the Sanhedrin. Archelaus apparently at one of the Passover feasts had slain 3,000 people. And because of his unacceptable conduct, he was deposed also and banished. The reason I'm saying this is even though this was Pax Romana, the time of peace in the Roman Empire, you can see the backdrop to where John the Baptist was launched. The environment was very much like the environment in which Elijah was launched. He came out of nowhere and he followed looking for Ahab in the desert as Ahab was looking for water to to give to his mules and grass to his horses because God had sent a, a dearth, a drought upon the land. And when Elijah found Ahab, Ahab looked around and says, Oh, you... You're the one that troubles Israel. And Elijah couldn't care two hoots. He says, no, it's not me. You, you're the one troubling Israel. You're the one that has broken God's commands. You're the one that has worshipped and followed Baal. You're the one that troubles Israel. And it was in this spirit that John the Baptist came. He came in the spirit of Elijah. And if you can look at the last book of the Bible in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, he says, Malachi prophesies, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purify a purifier of silver. And he shall purge them as gold, purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness." Chapter 4 Behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all that are proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise, with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stole ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, whom I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. and the heart of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse the Old Testament ended in a curse 400 years passed there was no prophetic voice God was silent Amos prophesied that there will come a time when there will be no more food or water there will be a famine not a famine of food not a famine of water but a famine of the word of God. And it came to pass. 400 years, there was no prophet. 400 years, the the people were shepherdless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They couldn't trust their leaders. Caiaphas and Annas were good examples of that. 500 years or more, no one sat on the throne of David. And then out of nowhere, out of the darkness, came a voice. That's what John was credited with, being a voice. He was almost like a Kumeo figure, just passing through the scenes of history, through the annals of history, for a very short time, 30 years. And he was a voice, a voice in the wilderness. Today, today when you hear that, it's an idiom. A voice in the wilderness is an idiom. And it sort of means it's a very unpopular message. But that needs to be heard. Like Elijah, John was a very unpopular person. Like Elijah, he not only faced a king who was wicked beyond measure, but he had behind him a woman that turned the screws. What was the role of John the Baptist? If you look at the book of Isaiah, from which some of this prophecy comes from, and he says, Cry, cry in the wilderness. He said, What shall I cry? He says, All flesh is as grass. All flesh is expendable. All flesh is temporary. And all flesh will one day burn in the oven of God's wrath unless they repent. God's servant was a forerunner to the Messiah. He was the one that was mentioned in Malachi. And I just want to read that to you one more time because I came across something that I didn't realize before. In Malachi... Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Who is speaking here in Malachi 3? It's God. God is speaking. He shall prepare the way before me. In the New Testament, who comes on the scene in response to that prophecy, in response to that cry in the wilderness? Jesus comes to the scene. And John, seeing him coming from afar off, points to his disciples and says, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. God, Jesus. Jesus is God Jesus was the anointed one coming from heaven he was God in the flesh and we heard it this week several times even tonight Emmanuel, Jesus, the son of God he came and the way was prepared before him John was not the Messiah he was humble enough to say I am not the Messiah I am not the one when they asked him who are you? He said, I'm not he. I'm just a voice. I'm just one that points you to the true Messiah, the mighty one of Israel. I'm just a voice. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm really nobody. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unloose his dusty latches on his shoes. He came. His his very appearance was a sermon in itself. He came dressed in camel's hair. The scripture says, if you read the first couple of books, uh, chapters of Luke, that he will come and there will no strong drink come to him. He'll be a Nazarite, in other words. I mean, this man was pervaded with the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, from the womb of his mother. Yea, when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, it says that the babe leaped in the womb of Elizabeth because the Holy Spirit was there. Already, I can't fathom that. Already working in this little babe. Given to Elizabeth and Zachariah in her, their old age. And it doesn't say much, but he was in the deserts. He was in the deserts until the coming of Jesus Christ. He ate locusts, large grasshoppers, soaked probably in water, roasted on coals, and to give it a little bit of flavor, make it somewhat palatable, dipped in honey. And that's how he lived. Drank from the River Jordan. Lived in caves. Heard the howls of jackals and and wild creatures in the, at the night, living by himself? This was John. But he was going to herald in, uh, usher in the king. Why did he dress that way? Why did he live that way? Was it he some kind of an eccentric? Some hermit, some recluse? Obviously not. It says here that they came from everywhere. They came from Judea and they came from Jerusalem and they came kings and priests and and laymen. They all came. They wanted to hear something. There was no prophetic voice for 400 years. They were under the rule of the government of Rome. There were many that that believed with with a true heart of faith in God, were thirsting. They were fed up with the hypocrites. They were fed up with the high priests. They were fed up with the Sanhedrin. They saw the hypocrisy and the manipulation and the arrogance and the inconsistencies. They were looking. They were hungering. For the truth, there were not many. They came as far as far as from Galilee, from Bethsaida, from Capernaum, John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel. They wanted to hear, is this the Messiah? But you know what? He didn't do one miracle. He didn't do one miracle. But they, there was something about his message. Something about his message that was refreshing, that sounded wholesome, that had a ring of truth. Because when they heard that voice, they remembered Isaiah chapter 40. They remembered Malachi chapter 3 and 4. They remembered Isaiah chapter 35 and 41. Could this be him? He looks like Elijah. They even asked Jesus when they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They said, Lord, how come it says in the scriptures that Elijah must come first? And Jesus said to them, you know, Elijah will indeed come. He will come. From that point on, he will come. But if you will have it, if you can accept it, he has already come and they have done whatever they wished with him. Then understood they that he spoke of John the Baptist. Why did they listen? Because John spoke boldly. John was not afraid to stand up to Herod. John was not afraid to stand up to his wife. John was not afraid up to stand... Up to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. As a matter of fact, he says, You generation of snakes, you brood of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What are you coming here for? I know you're not coming here because you want to be baptized to enter into the kingdom of God. You're coming here to see if you can derail this movement. You know, he was as bold as Jesus. Jesus told the Pharisees when he had healed that man, and they accused him that it was done by the prince of the devils, Beelzebub. And Jesus cautioned them and said that every sin shall be forgiven. Blasphemy against God will be forgiven. Blasphemy against Christ will be forgiven. But blasphemy or evil speaking against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Not in this world, nor in the world to come. And then he says, you generation of snakes. Out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. Whatever's in your heart just came out. How about that for a a note on evangelism, the direct approach? But Jesus didn't speak that way to those that were truly looking for truth. John the Baptist didn't speak that way to those that were truth seekers. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I believe, says because they never had the love of the truth in them. God gave them over that they would even believe a lie. How does that contrast, dear ones, with the gospel message today? We heard it in the... the, uh, Forum on evangelism. How does that contrast? What do you hear today on television? And I'm going to name them because the Apostle Paul named them. He named Alexander and Hymenus, who were preaching false doctrine. He named Demas, who had forsaken him and, and sought pleasure in the world. There are those that are in our midst. North America, in God we trust. Those that preach the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. Brothers and sisters, if you watch J, uh, what's his name, Austin, because you're looking for some spiritual edification, you need to examine yourself as 2 Corinthians 13:5 says. If you're following the teachings of the purpose-driven church and the purpose-driven life, you need to examine yourself. Like 2 Corinthians 13.5 says. Because there, there's no judgment. There's no discernment. We don't want to offend. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. We want to attract people because they... Feel good about coming to Jesus. Olstein was on an interview with Larry King, a secular Jew, as far as I know. And Larry King knew, I believe, the Bible. And he asked Olstein, Well, will God send sinners to hell? He said, Well, I I really don't want to get into that. I'm going to leave God to, to judge. Then he asked him again. Will he send sinners to hell? It's sickening. The movements that have been going on in this country in the last 20 years. The mega churches. The emergent church. Oh, we can draw 15, 20,000 to our services. Why? we got seven different venues of music. If you want Hawaiian, go to this room. If you want hip-hop, go to that room. If you want a coffee bar, go to this room. you want uh, jazz, go to this room. We'll even invite Brian McLaren, who doesn't believe in the atoning blood of Christ. And he's a Christian. There's a preacher in Germany. He preaches Christianity. He doesn't believe in God, but that's his job. we pick up their books, they're they're, they're world sellers. Millions of copies have been sold. Hundreds of thousands of pastors have subscribed to their mailing list so they can learn these gimmicks of evangelism so they can draw the crowds. You know what? But there was a blessing in in, in something like that because Bill Hybels, who was also a pupil of Robert Shuler, as was Rick Warren, a 30-something degree mason, And Bill Heibel says, I read it in one of the magazines on the internet, Christianity Today. He says, You know what? This is not working. They're coming. For six years they've been coming, but there's no change, there is no sanctification. come to Jesus as you are and stay with Jesus as you are. And John the Baptist says to Philip, to Herod Antipas, he says, it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. You're an adulterer. So Herodias says to to Herod, get him. Put him in prison. We'll squelch him. Oh well, that's that happened back then. Wow, well, They were they, they were evil. They were a pagan society. What about us today? Perhaps fifty years ago the D word was never to be mentioned. Divorce. Don't ever mention divorce. Because the Bible says that he that puts away his wife and marries another is an adulterer. Today? Well, that church is doing it. They must, they must have something right. I mean, it's a well-known church. He's a great preacher. And they must be... There's got to be something to it. And so we begin to think the same. Don't tell us these harsh words. I mean, God's not that strict or austere. What if there's an innocent party... What if the husband's abusive? What if the husband works too long? What if we're not compatible? It's better that they live separate and start again than they live all their lives in difficulty. The fact that John the Baptist lost his head because he stood up for what he believed has nothing to do with it. I was moved by Brother Johnny's uh, Bible class the other day. We talked about Brother Philip Reinhardt. He gave an enactment of what it could have been like when uh, he faced the guards who tried to cajole him and intimidate him into taking up arms. And they mocked him and they said, okay, you don't. They took somebody out and bang, 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 bang. You going to do it now? I can't. Paul, oh, your friend just did it. And Philip would look over at probably teary eyes and say brother you didn't did you I can't what are we doing today we can become fighter pilots we can fight a just war a Baptist in America can fight a Baptist in Germany Or a Lutheran in America can fight a Lutheran in Germany. That's a just war. We don't believe the simple truths of the gospel. We're not bold enough to stand up. The simple things, let alone some of the more grey areas. they took John the Baptist they took him way around the Dead Sea up north and then a bit south on the east side to a place called Machaerus it was a castle and he lived there probably for about a year or more in the dungeon and every now and then Herod's conscience wouldn't let him have any peace and he would call him out and wanted to hear things from John the Baptist says he feared him he John the Baptist. He wanted to know more. And then on one foolish night, when probably he was well drunken at a, his own birthday party, I understand that at that time they had birthday parties very, very extravagant. It was more like a stag party at which at the end they called in the dancers. And when Herodias' daughter Salome danced this lewd wicked dance before him it says it pleased him a filthy old man it pleased him and it says that uh, it pleased him so much that he promised Salome anything she wanted to the half of his kingdom so she trots over to her Mom, who's waiting in the wings, may have even planned this. He says, what do you want, Mom? I want the head of John the Baptist. And when Herod heard that, he was afraid. What did I say? But the saying goes that a man's anger gets him into trouble and his pride keeps him there he had to do it go, do it and John who had maybe eyed across the shores of the Dead Sea for months his mum and dad had probably died by now they were already old when he was born There was a time when, there was a time when he called and he asked, he sent two disciples and he, they went to Jesus and said, says, are you Jesus, are you the Messiah or do we look for another? Jesus said, you go tell John. All the things that you see, the lime are given, the, the, the blind are given sight, the lame are healed, and to the go- to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he that is not offended in me. And they went back and told that to John. And I'm sure that was enough for him. It's all he wanted to know. His mission was accomplished. And when I think of John the Baptist, my memories go down to, as Brother Johnny pointed out, the heroes of faith that Brother Philip was. And I think of all the heroes of faith that preceded us in our modern time. I'm reminded of a brother back home as he served in prison for seven years with my wife's father and others that were with him. Brother Ivan Budimlik's father was with them at that time. I remember the lonely years in, in a place, in an island off of Yugoslavia. I was very lonely. They were sent there three years at a time. Some of them just had a child and they were sent off. And they got letters from their loved ones and the, the guards taunted them and said, do you want to read this? There's one thing you've got to do. And then when they were transferred from this place, this desert, arid island, rocky island, they were transported to Mitrovica and, and they were going through Srem or whatever and the train was going through the city, they... We're well, back at the mainland, the motherland, and they were just looking for hope Are there any loved ones there. And then the brother said, I can see Brother Steve Nanadov." That was a glimpse. But they were bold enough to say no. Because they believed in Jesus. They were bold enough to stand alone. And here's John. Just wanted a glimpse of Jerusalem the golden. Just wanted to look perhaps like Moses did from the same side and see the promised land. To see was the fulfillment of God's word coming to pass and he got it from Jesus and now he could die in peace. I remember in 1995 when my father-in-law came and he visited us and Brother Ivan's father came to our place. He wanted to have a glimpse of his former war buddy, his prison buddy. For one hour, just before we were to leave the next day, he came to see him. and He told us of the horrific abuse in the prison there because of what he believed in. They started to kick him. And they knocked him down and they started to kick him. And one said, let him go. And he said, no, don't. Let him do it. Because for him to live was Christ. And to die was gain. I'm sure that it could very very well be possible that John was comforted with the prophet Isaiah, chapter 35. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. In the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of dragons, where each sleigh shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And the highway shall be there, and away it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I don't know what the artist had in mind, but when I looked at that, picture of the little children running fearlessly to the king. I thought about John. I thought about all the loved ones over the many years in this camp that we pray for, those that had passed away, that were stricken suddenly, in accidents, with illnesses, with heart attacks, whether they were 15 or 75, when they pass over, they all become as young and innocent and alive and joyful and rejoicing as children running to their king. They are God's jewels. They are the jewels in his crown. Daniel writes... And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. John said, I'm not worthy. John was given a name that was above all names to that point in time on earth he, Jesus said of anyone that was born of woman there was no greater than John he didn't perform a miracle when Jesus appeared to him on the scene of Jordan he said he'd ever, he never even knew him but he listened to God. He had one instruction to preach the gospel, to preach the the arrival of the king, to preach the baptism of repentance, and then he would exit. My dear friend, outside of Jesus Christ, how do you compare your life if you can't identify with Jesus yet, how do you compare your life with John? Makes all of our Facebooks and Twitters and Fritters and Nintendos and all these boxes seem mundane, doesn't it? John lived for 30 years. Jesus lived for 30 years. But they were the two greatest two of the greatest men that ever lived. Jesus being the son of God that ever lives even today. I'm not going to say any more. I'm not going to say any more about repentance. You know what you need to do. You know what is written here. You know what the Bible says. I'm going to let God do the rest. May the Lord bless his word.